everyone. I'm Andrea Ferretti. This is Yoga Land. Before we start the episode, I have a few announcements. The first is that Jason's 2023 online course schedule is up on our website. So if you're interested in studying with Jason online, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash schedule, and you'll see all of the different offerings when they're being offered, and you can sign up on the wait list or even register. Right now we have the Art of Beginners open and sequencing is open on an ongoing basis as well. The other announcement is that I've started a community over on Substack. I don't know if you're familiar with Substack, but I've discovered it in the past couple of years and I really love it. And it's been very exciting for me to start a new creative project. And it's a great way for me to be able to actually connect with those of you out there in the community without having to use social media. So you can go to yogaland.substack.com. You can either become a free member or a paid member for $6 a month, or you can do a yearly subscription and you'll get different levels of access to meditations that I'm creating, weekly intention, behind the scenes of the podcast, and different essays and articles that I'm writing. I'm also going to be starting more community engagement with paid members, so that's something I'm really genuinely looking forward to. You can go over to yogaland.substack.com, and if you sign up, be sure to download the app, because the app just makes it really easy to read things on your phone and to discover other great writers on there as well. Thanks for listening, and onward with the episode. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. Today, we have a very focused topic. I'm really excited about this topic because I think it's ever-present on everyone's mind, as it should be, and the topic at hand is strength and does yoga build strength. So where should we begin? I think we should begin kind of zoomed out with reviewing the different general types of strength, categories of strength. Yes, Because if we want to understand, does yoga generate strength, we have to understand, well, what is strength? And we're limiting the conversation to mechanical strength, right? Primarily, we're going to focus on the strength of muscles. Um, And in order to talk about it, we need to understand the different types of strengthening or the different phases of strengthening first. Okay. And in so doing, I think we're going to see pretty clearly that Yoga is, in fact, really good at generating strength, but it's much better at generating some types of strength than other types of strength. Okay. So this is going to give us a really good both macro but very precise understanding of things. Okay. So we have to start first before we talk about concentric, eccentric, and isometric strength. We have to first talk about what a muscle does. A muscle does many things. But with regards to our conversation, a muscle pulls, right? And a muscle essentially pulls for two reasons. A muscle pulls to move a joint or a muscle pulls to inhibit a joint from moving, right? So you all have muscles and those muscles primary function in terms of this conversation today is to either move a part of the body or resist motion and provide stability in that part of the body. Okay. Okay? So there are three primary different types of contraction, okay? We'll start with concentric. So a concentric contraction is a contraction in which the muscle is working and the muscle as it's working is shortening. So the muscle fibers are, I shouldn't say muscle fibers, I should say, the muscle unit itself is getting shorter. Mm -hmm. Another way that we can think about this, and then I'll give you an example. We want to think about load or resistance, okay? So when I imagine me doing a bicep curl, imagine I have a 25-pound dumbbell, the load or the resistance is 25 pounds. If I am pulling on that dumbbell and I am doing an active phase of that bicep curl where I am pulling and bending my elbow and my forearm is coming closer to my shoulder, the amount of engagement I'm exerting is greater than 25 pounds, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I have the load or the resistance, it's 25 pounds. Mm -hmm. My muscle is pulling. Mm -hmm. My muscle is pulling greater than 25 pounds. Mm -hmm. 
And so therefore that muscle is shortening. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Simple enough. That's concentric. That's concentric. Now we have the backside of this. We have eccentric. So this is when the load or the resistance is greater than the amount of pull. So imagine that I have just done the first part of a bicep curl, and now I'm lowering my forearm away from my shoulder. I'm going back towards that straight elbow position. So in that position, my biceps are still working. I'm not going to just let that muscle go completely and let that weight fall out of my hand, right? right? So what we can think about this is the eccentric engagement is that phase where I'm lowering the barbell. Those muscles, those biceps are still pulling, Mm -hmm. but they are pulling less than the amount of resistance or load that's present. Mm -hmm. So that's eccentric. So those muscles are still working, but that that muscle is getting longer while it works. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now we have our next phase. And I don't necessarily mean these in order. They're just the order that I'm describing them. Okay? Okay? So we have our next phase, which is isometric. And in an isometric engagement or an isometric contraction, the amount of pull that my muscle is exerting is equal to the load or the resistance. So what happens in this situation is I'm contracting my biceps, but they are neither getting longer nor are they getting shorter. So I'm engaging my biceps, but I'm not bending my elbow anymore. Okay. Does that make sense or does that one start to get kind of confusing? So well, another I think way I of know what isometric means by f- the feeling of it, that one makes sense. But like, let's say, do you remember? I don't know, maybe other disciplines still say this, but it was a big thing in Anusara to say, like, hug the muscle to the bone. Sure. That would be isometric, right? So it's de- not necessarily. So, so let's make this really simple. In an isometric contraction, Nothing is moving, right? So nothing is moving. The muscle fibers are not getting shorter. The muscle fibers are not getting longer. Right. The angle of the joint is not changing. The position is being held. Mm -hmm. And this happens all the time in yoga, which we'll talk about in a moment. So imagine for a moment bridge pose or, Mm. or warrior two. Imagine you're already in that pose and you're working to sustain the pose. Mm -hmm. So your muscles are engaging, but you're no longer changing position. Mm -hmm. Muscles are, in that scenario, not getting longer. They're not getting shorter. They're active, but they aren't changing length. And the the body's not changing position. So if you were to say, hug the muscle to the bone, if I'm already in the pose... Yeah, that's where they usually have to say it. Right, and that's kind of a cue, right? That's a a cue to ask you just to work more. Yeah, or like they would say it often in... Actually, for I don't know. I'm well. They would say it in forward bends, like if you were in uttanasana. But technically, that's just a yogaism. You're not hugging the muscle closer to the bone. Like that's not actually no. Happening. But you're contracting. Yes, you're so, engaging that muscle more. So is that isometric contraction? Yes. Yeah. It's isometric contraction if you're not in the phase of going into right, you're or in out Uttan- of the okay. pose. So you're in uttanasana. Yes. Hug the muscle to the bone. Yeah, That's engage the quads more, hug the muscle to the bone. You're in plank. You're in plank. That would be another place they would say it a lot. Perfect. What about you're already like, what about like locust? In locust pose, you're already in locust pose. If you are working in the pose and the muscles are not changing length, yeah. you're holding the pose. But when you're going going into locust. Going in and going out, right? right? And so this is really interesting. This actually kind of gets us into our next topic. So I'm going to I'm just going to review that super super quick. Okay, which is in a concentric engagement, the amount of pull that your muscles are exerting is greater than the resistance and those muscles are getting shorter. Mm-hmm. In an eccentric engagement, the amount of pull that your muscles are exerting is less than the load or the resistance. And you're still working that muscle, but it's lengthening. In an isometric engagement, you are still engaging those muscles, but the amount of pull that your muscles are generating is equal to the load or the resistance that's present, and you're not getting a change of position, right? And so the thing that's kind of tricky 
we've already started to talk about, which is concentric, eccentric, and isometric are very easy to identify and describe in dynamic movement. Like that's why I gave you the example to start with of a bicep curl, because in a bicep curl, you tend to be in continuous movement. You're doing concentric, concentric, concentric as you're bending the elbow, then you get to where you stop and then you do eccentric, eccentric, eccentric. You're lengthening to release that side and then you're repeating it. But yoga's tricky and that's where we actually need to start to understand not really a subcategory, but a combination of these because especially in more dynamic forms of yoga, when you're in a kind of a continuous flow, you're, you're going through these concentric and eccentric actions. But then when you pause and you hold the pose, now you've kind of switched the motor to isometric. Mm-hmm. So it's, it becomes a little bit trickier to identify what's doing what in yoga because the transition into the pose, the holding of the pose, and the transitioning out of the pose are going to essentially emphasize or leverage different kind of different types of strength. Mm -hmm. But there are two, I, they're not really subcategories, but there's, I think there's two additional layers that we want to unpack when we're still thinking macro about these types of strength and these types of engagement. Okay. Which is if you take boat pose, for example, paripurnanavasana, When you're in boat pose, when you're going into boat pose, you're transitioning into it, if you think about your hip flexors, your quads, your hip flexors and your quads, but especially your hip flexors, they're working concentrically because those those quads are working to straighten the knees. The hip flexors are working to flex the hip. So that is a concentric movement when you're moving into it, but you don't just get to move into it. Unfortunately, you got to hold the thing, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're holding the thing, it's no longer a concentric engagement. It's now an isometric engagement, but it's an isometric engagement in a shortened position because, and again, if we just really focus on the hip flexor part, Those hip flexors were working very strongly concentrically to get there. So those muscles were getting shorter, shorter, shorter to get there. But then when they don't change position and you're holding the pose, they're still working hard. So they're isometric engagement now, but they're isometric not in a neutral position. They're isometric in a shortened position. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then we have the other thing that we want to think about, which I think is really important, which is let's say you are in a forward bend. Let's say you're in Janushashasana or any forward bend. Mm-hmm. This is the easiest way to think about it. And let's say you go into the pose kind of passively. Like you're not really thinking about anything. It's just end of the day and you do a little forward bend and you're stretching your hamstrings. If while your hamstrings are stretched, you decide to engage them by pressing the heel bone down and creating the action of kind of pressing down and pulling back. As you're pressing those heels firmly down into the ground and contracting the hamstrings, the hamstrings are contracting in an isometric way mm-hmm. because they're not getting longer, but they're, con- they're doing an isometric contraction from a lengthened position because they're already stretched out. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm right? not sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but let's say I was sitting upright and I was pressing the heels down. Like I wasn't in the pose and I'm, I'm sitting upright and I press the heels down and I lengthen the spine up and I go forward into a forward fold slowly. I take four or five or six breaths to get into a forward fold and the whole time I'm doing that, I'm pressing the back of the heels down. Yeah. Then that is an eccentric engagement because those muscles are pulling, right? Those mm-hmm. muscles are pulling and lengthening. Okay. So we have a lot of different, I'm going to kind of make up this term, but like a lot of different 
phase shifts, mm-hmm. right? So theoretically, I can do a forward bend where as I'm slowly transiting into the posture, it's eccentric engagement. And then once I'm in the posture, if I keep that engagement, it's not eccentric engagement anymore. It's isometric engagement in a lengthened position. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Here's why that stuff matters. Yeah. Because it can help us answer the big question so much better. Does yoga strengthen the body? Yes. Does it strengthen the body equally or as efficiently as other forms of resistance training? That becomes the next question. Yoga is incredibly good at building isometric strength because it's, I won't say it's, I won't say it doesn't happen, but compared to a strength, most approaches to strength training, most approaches to strength training there's pretty much continuous dynamic movement. Yeah. Like you're right? doing squats with weights and you're going, you know, you're you're going in and out of the squats, exactly. in and out of the squats, in and out of the same like the biceps curl. You're doing the concentric, eccentric, concentric, eccentric. It does seem like in yoga, I mean, I'm and this is just like my anecdotal gut response, but it does seem like the most common thing you're doing is isometric. Yes. You know, you're just holding, you know, often you're holding things for long periods of time, and you're being told to focus on those muscles and to engage those muscles. That's exactly right. So yoga builds isometric strength really well, probably better than most other strength training modalities, unless in a strength training modality, they are, they are specifically working on that as a topic. So I'm not saying that in a strength training room, they can't build isometric. It's just that's usually not the relative focus, whereas pretty much most active styles of yoga, it is dynamic, and also you hold poses actively. So in yoga, you do create concentric and eccentric um, engagements or contractions, absolutely, especially in the dynamic phase but probably not as well as you do in the strength training room. Because in the strength training room, you tend to do multiple sets Mm -hmm. of X number of repetitions and typically with additional weight load. Right. And And so other modalities, resistance training modalities, are, I won't say probably, are much more efficient Mm -hmm. at building concentric and eccentric strength. Mm -hmm. It's not that we don't build it, but Mm -hmm. others, that's much more of their overt focus. Mm -hmm. But in yoga, we're really good at building isometric strength. Are there any thoughts around, is it ideal to have a balanced amount of isometric, concentric, and eccentric strength to keep your joints healthy and to keep, or, you know... I mean, you do see yogis with like very, very strong bodies who only do yoga and they're not adding weight. It's not as common anymore. And I'm not saying that should should or should not be anybody's approach. I'm just kind of curious because I get told by my doctors to do strength training. Like I'm getting older. Um, I know that women lose muscle mass after menopause. I'm not postmenopausal yet, but I'm like headed there and few few to several years so yeah i just asked like five questions okay so let's let's um let let's kind of chip away at them so we just said that yoga is much better at building isometric strength relatively than concentric and eccentric so let's talk about first what's good about that Mm -hmm. um not not what let me be more specific Let's talk about what's so good about isometric strength. Right, okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so remember I said earlier, muscles do one thing as far as this conversation is concerned. They pull. So let's also make this really clear. A concentric, eccentric, and isometric action, it's all the same action. It's just muscles are just pulling. And they're either pulling against something that is more than, less than, or equal to the force of the pull, right? So the muscle is changing length, or it's not changing length, but 
all of the, it's not like you have three different types of pull. You have one type of pull. A pull is a pull. And we said that muscles pull for two primary reasons, to move a body part or to resist the movement of a body part, okay? And the the best way to think about this is just think about plank pose, right? In plank pose, your muscles are working really hard. They're pulling a lot to resist motion. What what motion are are they resisting? they're resisting the downward push of gravity. Mm-hmm. Think about being in full boat pose or plank pose or locust pose or warrior two. Everything is working really hard to sustain position, to hold steady against the, the gravitational forces that are acting against the body. And so what we can understand from this is isometric strength facilitates stabilization. This isn't, I don't want us to, I don't want us to parse this too much and be like isometric strength is only about stabilization and concentric is only about motion. Mm -hmm. But isometric strength is a very good kind of strength to produce greater stability in the body, especially the kind of stability that acts against gravitational stressors. Mm -hmm. Another thing that isometric strength is so good for is its fundamental strength. So what do I mean by that? If I don't have the strength to hold my body in position, I probably don't have very good strength to move my body skillfully through position. Or think about it another way. If, I'm, if I don't have the strength to, with my bicep, hold a... Um, a dumbbell, like hold it in a position, I don't have enough strength to actually move that dumbbell around skillfully. Mm-hmm. So isometric strength is a is a functional, fundamental, underlying strength and a stabilizer for the human body. We want it. The other thing I'll say one more thing, which is, for the most part in physical therapy, there is a first isometric focus. Oftentimes before someone is doing more dynamic movement in a region, especially if that region is injured or has a dysfunction, there is the, there is the action of doing isometric strengtheners first mm-hmm. because it is such a underlying priority to other types of strength and other types of human activity. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, no, I yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to the another kind of question that you built into there was well do but do we ultimately want balance, isometric, concentric and eccentric? And the answer is yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. Think about this, let's talk for a moment about the value of eccentric strength, okay? which is eccentric strength is often the kind of strength that's involved in deceleration, okay? So like we all know, like when we're walking down, it's a bit of a, I don't think this is too much of a tangent. It's like, you know how sometimes like if you're tired and you're walking downhill? Yeah. Like it's kind of like easier to like jog it out yes. than to walk it out. Because your quads are not yeah. strong. Yeah. yeah. It's because the quads have... A, an eccentric weakness. Mm-hmm. It's because they're having a hard time working in that lengthened position, mm-hmm. right? And so the eccentric strength in the body, this is a generalization, but in general, it's you can think about them as it's the brakes function of the car. Mm-hmm. And so eccentric strength is incredibly value, valuable for injury prevention. Right. Because if you don't, because a lot of injuries, especially sports injuries, so not necessarily just yoga, but like sports injuries are something was going too far, something was going too far too fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And think about a car going too far too fast. If you are, if a car is going too far too fast, it better have good brakes. But if a car is going too far too fast and it doesn't have good brakes, there's an increased chance that there's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And so eccentric strength 
tends to be particularly valuable in slowing the movement down and making it more controlled. I was just thinking about picking up your child, right? Like, let's say you have a big toddler <laughs> who still wants to be picked up and you've got to like hoist that child up. So you're using the concentric concentric strength. But then if you don't have the eccentric strength and they're like fighting you to get down, you definitely can hurt yourself. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I think this is another reason why as a vinyasa yoga teacher, I don't go fast. Because a lot of times, it's not that there isn't value to going fast. But if I'm particularly interested in building through yoga more concentric strength, then if I have people move in a, in a more controlled way through their transitions, then they're having to control their body in like challenging relationships to gravity. So as you as you control your body by slowly transiting it through poses and like gravitational compromise, right? That is a kind of stress that is going to build concentric and eccentric strength. Mm -hmm. But if I'm just kind of like firing my body and using momentum instead of control, if I'm using momentum instead of control in the transitions, then I'm not going to be building nearly as much concentric or eccentric strength. Right. So, so this so is if you're going from plank lowering to the floor and you just flop, you're not using your eccentric strength. Totally. Okay. Or oh and concentric strength. Because one side is yeah, probably working eccentric. This yeah. is where it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. But, but, but yeah. another way to think about this is like think about literally inhale, reach the arms up, exhale, forward bend. If I, in that forward bend, go just like thump, if I just slump into my forward bend, then I'm going to lengthen my hamstrings, but my hamstrings aren't having to slow down the pelvis as it rotates forward. So if I inhale, reach up, and then exhale nice and slowly with control forward bend that whole time, then my hamstrings are stretching, but they're having to work a little bit because they're having to slow down that anterior tilt of the pelvis, mm -hmm. right? And so to me, I'm always looking for a sweet spot where not only is my breath being elongated, but I'm using deliberate, intentional, controlled transitions instead of momentum mm -hmm. to execute a transition, mm -hmm. not just because I think it's more mindful, I think it's helping to facilitate the gap mm -hmm. of of not not having as it's it's giving us more opportunity to build that concentric and eccentric phase of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yes. Mm -hmm. Now, one more thing about the question: Is it ideal to have balanced concentric, eccentric, isometric? Once again, the answer is yes, and let's kick the final part of this answer towards the end of the podcast. Yeah. Because I think the next thing starts to be, it depends. Right, I was just thinking the same the, thing. The simple mm -hmm. answer is yes, of course, of course. But the reality in terms of how we live a normal functional human life and the choices that we make in that life, it's unlikely that, you know, you're, you're going to especially if you're the kind of person that likes multiple activities, right? If you like climbing and swimming and running and yoga, do I think that that's going to net out and you having like your entire body having perfectly calibrated isometric, eccentric, and concentric? Probably not. But, but this is where I think we can kind of, we can kind of refine the answer to that a little bit later. Okay. So, are there, I, I know the answer, part of the answer to this, because you've been beating this drum for a long time, but I'm just going to play hostess for a moment. Are there parts of the body that yoga does not strengthen as efficiently? Yes. Yeah, so. Can I say the one that I know? Pulling muscles. Pulling muscles of what? The upper back. In what direction? Down. Yeah, I just did it, guys. Down and towards. So remember, all muscles pull. Right, so even the true. muscles on the front of the body, like do pecs push? No, pecs pull. Mm. 
right? So we, and this is kind of a thing because we, we, our orientation, we think if we're, if our arms are going forward or up, we think push. Right. If our arms are going towards or down, we think pull. But understand that that's like totally normal, healthy, reasonable, social, conventional language is technically not correct. Technically, from a, from a muscle action standpoint, muscles don't push. Yeah. Muscles pull. So, so, but your answer is, yeah, the answer is right. Okay. And let me take a quick step back. I can very easily teach you to strengthen any muscle in the body via yoga, but some things are way easier to strengthen in yoga. Some things are way more implicit to the process. Whereas other things, you have to have a lot of technical nuance. You have to have a lot of specificity. You have to like try a lot harder to do, right? So there are really four regions that to me stand out as regions that are just actually way harder to strengthen in yoga than in uh, some form of resistance training. And you just nailed the first one, which is um, the posterior and inferior part of the shoulder, Mm -hmm. okay? So the back and the bottom part of the shoulder. And the thing that you called out, there's a lot of stuff there, but the thing that you called out was the lats. Mm-hmm. And the the thing of, the thing that we should realize about the lats and the thing we have to as a yoga community be really honest with the lats, honest with ourselves about lats, yoga as a default is not very good at strengthening the lats. Mm-hmm. There are things we can do to bridge the gap. But it's not as implicit to the process, and nothing good comes from having weak lats. Hmm. Nothing good comes from it, because the lats are really important arm muscles. They're really important shoulder muscles in the way that they affect the GH joint, the ball and socket joint. But the lats are also spinal muscles. And they help to facilitate proper tension in the thoracolumbar fascia in that entire region. So you don't want to just think about lats as like shoulder muscles. They're posterior stabilizers. They're they're really important muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is something as a yoga teacher that I sneak in all the time to my vinyasa classes. And I can help people go from no strength or awareness in those regions to having a bit. Mm -hmm. But when we talk later about supplementation, it's almost the first thing I would recommend for a lot of people to supplement Mm -hmm. if they choose to Mm -hmm. is strengthening their lats with a form of resistance training. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. The second thing that kind of pops off like the chart to me are the external rotators and the abductors, hmm. so your butt and your outer hips. That's really interesting to me. I would think that yoga would be like with chair pose and so, warrior poses, but so decent. But so so things like warrior poses and things like utkatasana, you probably get a little bit of like full circumference of the leg, full circumference of the hip strengthening. There's not nothing going on there. But something to remember is if you want to strengthen something, you need resistance in that plane of motion, right? And so what I mean by that is if I want to strengthen an external rotator Mm -hmm. or an abductor, I need something out there to press against, to pull against. But So gravity is not doing that in the warrior poses? No, not really. So gravity, so let's, um, let's just think about Utkatasana for a second. Now, let's say you decided, you're like, well, wait a second. I really want to strengthen my outer, let's just, let's just think about, let's keep it broad, outer hips. Let's say I really want to, in Utkatasana, strengthen my outer hips. Can I? The answer is, yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, isometrically, you can. So the way that you would do that is you would put a strong, like you put a yoga belt around the outside of the thighs and push out into that yoga belt. Oh, but if right. I, right, but if I want to, if I want to strengthen the outer hip in Utskatasana, I need something for my outer hip to press outward against. Okay. And that's not the plane of resistance. 
the plane of resistance in Utkatasana is the vertical plane. Right. It's gravity and ground reaction. So what's what's working the most in there? Legs. The part of the legs are quads. Quads are working a lot. Not you glute can, max? Man, huh, little bit. Yeah. But here's, here's what pretty much anyone could probably do Utskatasana, at least a mild amount of Utskatasana, touch their buttock and make their buttock not work very much. But, no pun intended, you can't touch the quads and make the quads not work much. Okay. So so again, let me let me let me say again, in something like Utkatasana or the bent knee standing poses, you are certainly getting some you are most likely getting muscle activation and most all of the leg and hip. Mm-hmm. But and not an equal amount and not a particularly significant amount. Mm. You're getting a significant amount much more in the front, maybe a little bit in the back. What about bridge pose? Bridge pose, you're getting a lot of work of quads. And if you're doing bridge pose with a sensible modern orientation, you are also strengthening your extensors. So you're strengthening your hamstrings and your glutes as extensors. Okay. But but when we're talking about the external rotators and the abductors, so one quick thing, your glutes, they're triplanar muscles, right? So, so they... That means they work in three planes. Oh, okay. They work as extensors, so they pull the leg back. They work as external rotators, so they rotate the leg outward. And they work as abductors, so they pull the leg away from the body. They also resist those actions, okay? So if you're in bridge and you're just coming up in bridge and you're using your glutes, you're mostly utilizing the extensor function of that glute. I want to go one step a little bit deeper into the the outer hip slash external rotator region. It's like it's multiple compartments in there. But there's a muscle that comes up for me as often not being sufficiently strengthened in yoga via yoga, um, which is the piriformis. Because the piriformis is an external rotator, and it plays an incredibly n- important role um, in many things. But one of the main roles it plays is the dynamic stabilization of the sacroiliac joint. And we love to stretch this stuff. Like, I love stretching my outer hips. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, can you strengthen your can you strengthen your external rotators and abductors in yoga? Yes. Can you strengthen your piriformis in yoga? Yes. Does it happen kind of automatically? No, not really, not that well. You have to really be able to focus on it and understand that a lot of times a listener might be like, but my piriformis is so tight. Well, tight and strong aren't the same thing. Yeah. So a lot of times people have tight, weak piriformis, Mm -hmm. tight, weak, lat, tight, weak, Glute, tight, weak, outer hips. Tightness and weakness often go together. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could spend forever on this, but two more quick things that I, I think are much harder in yoga to strengthen in general than other parts. Um, adductors, so inner leg muscles. Can you strengthen it? Totally. We'll just go back to Utskatasana. Put a block between there and squeeze for a while. Bridge pose, put a block between there, squeeze for a while if you want to strengthen your adductors and make no friends, right? So that's a way that you can strengthen those muscles isometrically, which is good for all the reasons we talked about it. But it's not just like going to happen automatically. Like you have to really know what you're doing. You have to look for it. And as such, See, one of the things to remember is in order to strengthen something, you have to, re- you have to be, ex- you have to repeat that action a lot. And so we, it's, yoga is probably not a very efficient environment to strengthen these muscles that we're talking about. It's not that it's po- not possible. It's that you're probably not going to focus on that thing enough for long enough over enough years that it's going to have a significant a really significant impact. I would say the last one it are 
hamstrings. Now, this is of all the ones that I've talked about, I think the easiest to change with some understanding of sequencing and actually utilizing the hamstrings much more intentionally. There's many things we can do to strengthen our hamstrings quite well in yoga. Locus, locus with bent knees, there's all sorts of things, but I wouldn't say it just kind of happens automatically. Mm -hmm. I would say your yoga teacher has to really be thinking about this in terms of a sequencing sequencing priority, or you or your teacher have to be focusing on those regions and really working them. Yeah, so it's not, um, and also you'd probably say it's not as efficient. It's not as efficient. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. No. Um, but there is good news. So the good news is some parts of the body are really easy to strengthen in yoga. And I would say not just isometrically. We're kind of talking like big topic. Um, you've already brought up one. Quads. Uh, quads. Mm-hmm. Quads are pretty easy to strengthen in yoga. Um, hip flexors are pretty easy to strengthen in yoga because it's easy in yoga to to in, to concentrically, isometrically, and eccentrically engage those body parts. Mm-hmm. And because they're so like overtly on the front of the body and in this like front frontal vertical plane, there's just a lot of poses that do it, mm-hmm. right? They're not gonna they're not gonna give you like professional soccer player concentric strength. But if you have a pretty, if you did a vinyasa-based practice and you were skillful in working your standing poses a lot, bridge, utkatasana, these things, you're going to develop strength in those regions. If you're doing one-legged down dog, bending the knee towards the chest, you're doing some arm balances like bakasana, you're doing various versions of boat pose and reclined anterior core strengtheners, you're totally going to be working your hip flexors. Yeah. Right? So another thing that I think is really easy to strengthen in yoga is your anterior abdominals. I would even say your rotational abdominals. I think abdominals are actually pretty easy to strengthen in yoga. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we have not said is we both enjoy resistance training. I love resistance training. I've done resistance training for a long time, since before I did yoga. And anytime I want to do more like ab strengthening, I just use body weight stuff. Mm. I just kind of do yoga stuff. I don't actually like go get a cable. You can use one, but I don't really get much benefit from it. Okay. Let me just clarify for a moment. I don't love resistance training, (laughs) but I do resistance training because I think it it is helpful to my body. Yeah, for sure. Um, Spinal muscles. Spinal muscles are really easy to strengthen in yoga because again, all you, you, okay, in order to strengthen something, you need resistance in that plane. That's why some of the rotational stuff is harder because you don't have, you don't have resistance out to the sides. So it's a little bit like trickier to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, this is, it's a simplification, but you, to strengthen your spinal muscles, all the face down backbends, especially the locusts, especially like the low cobras. Like there's so many, the uh, Virabhadrasana three, like there's so many things Mm. that you can really strengthen your paraspinal muscles on. I'm not saying that some people wouldn't benefit from overt supplemental strengthening of those spinal muscles, but these are kind of the, the regions where I find we just, we just kind of get there as a function of a well-balanced practice. Two more quick ones. I would say triceps are super easy to strengthen in yoga. Mm-hmm. The old photos of Richard Freeman are the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, I, I have to look at those. Those like, well, just proportionally, right? Especially Ashtangis because they have such a narrow hand position and they do a lot of chaturangas. Mm-hmm. So a narrow-handed chaturanga Stuff like that, when you repeat that a lot of times, you're going to be straightening the elbows. You go from bent to straighten. Mm -hmm. And the more narrow the hands are, 
the greater the proportional engagement of the triceps are. Interesting. So there's just a lot of opportunities, especially in a vinyasa practice, to strengthen triceps. And then the final one is the kind of, if you, I'm going to simplify it, but kind of the opposites of the shoulder stuff that's hard to strengthen. Mm -hmm. We identified it's the back of the shoulder stuff and the bottom of the shoulder stuff that's harder to strengthen. But the stuff that's kind of easy to strengthen is the front of the shoulder. So pec major, anterior deltoids, and then arm overhead. So superior shoulder, so top of deltoids. So would you say that's mostly due to arm balances and handstands? and Handstands, arm balances, but I'm also thinking down dog, plank, chaturanga, Mm -hmm. inhale, reach the arms up. Mm -hmm. Warrior two, staying there in warrior two, arms out to the side, warrior Mm -hmm. one. There's just a lot of things where you're having to work to reach the arms up and out to the side. Yep. And so, again, I would never say you wouldn't benefit from supplementation of these, like, that's fine. But I, I, I feel like yoga does a very good job of building some really valuable functional human strength in those regions. Mm-hmm. And then the re- the other regions we spoke about, we can get them. They're just much harder to get to and maybe not quite as efficient in the yoga room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, yeah, thinking about that, when you think about for, I'm just talking to the listeners, like when we think to ourselves, is yoga building enough strength for me? Um, what are the questions you think people should ask themselves? Yeah. So we just had a 40-minute conversation about strength and strengthening that happens in yoga. Right. And then we have a reasonable question people might be asking, which is, great, is it enough? Mm-hmm. And my answer, anyone that's ever trained with me knows my answer. My it answer is- It depends on your life. It depends. Yeah. But I think to be more specific, I I think that it really depends on three things. I think it depends on your interests- your requirements, and your specific needs. Okay. Okay? So in general, I think yoga is, it's not the primary physical focal point of the yoga tradition. It just isn't. That doesn't mean it isn't really good at it. I We just talked about yoga is actually really good at building a ton of really valuable functional strength. Mm-hmm. But- if I were to, if you were to come to me and you didn't have a particular interest in yoga, you just wanted an outcome. And you came to me and you said, I want an outcome. And the main outcome is I want to develop more strength. I wouldn't send you first to a yoga class. I would send you to resistance training. Mm-hmm. Because that's what that tool is overtly for. Mm-hmm. So another way to think about this too is, and I'll be, I'll be personal about it, and then you can be personal about it. So I wrote, it depends on your interests. So one of the things that I'm really interested in, and I have been for six years now, is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Is, does yoga create enough strength for me in my 40s to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu well against young men? No, it doesn't. So for me, because I have those additional interests, I like to do supplemental resistance training, right? There's another interest that I have that I'll be completely honest about, right? Which is, I'm a guy. I always saw myself, especially as a kid, as like really skinny. I tend to be more on the slender side. So I'm not looking for a significant amount of hypertrophy. That's not my main focus, but I do have a body. I am self-conscious of it. I'm in front of cameras all the time. So I am also interested in having a little bit of visible tone, right? Those aren't needs, but those are completely legitimate human interests, Mm -hmm. right? So I think if someone wants more hypertrophy, I think um, like muscle bulk, if someone wants like more visible tone, and if someone is specifically wanting to build more strength, they're a yoga practitioner and they want to build more strength, 
because they're also interested in the pursuit of strength training or they're also interested in another kind of sport-specific activity, I think strength training supplementation is really valuable. Your interest in it is... Well, what do you mean by, let's go to needs and requirements. What do you mean? What's the difference for you between needs and requirements? So I, I think I think actually uh, that's probably one thing. Okay. So specific needs. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think I think the requirement, the requirement, the way I was thinking about it is a certain amount of strength for me is actually required to do the, to do jujitsu. Like right. it's, it's not just an interest. It's also a requirement of that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to specific needs, right? When it comes to specific needs, this is where the specific need often starts with a deficit. So for example, someone has an injury. Someone has an instability. Someone has a deficient, like a known imbalance deficiency in a region. When in those situations, when you have to really specifically for the well-being of a body part or the well-being of the system in general, because there's injury, there's a health situation, there is a deficiency, then I think strength training is a, a really valuable supplement mm-hmm. because it's what it's for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, my main interest is, you know, having survived cancer is just thinking about health span and also just looking at, um, you know, our parents and um, your mom is the most active, I would say of the three of our remaining parents. Um, she, well, she's having a hard time now because she's more of a caretaker, but when she was able to exercise as much as she wanted, she swam three times a week for an hour each time. She walks the two dogs, the two big golden retrievers daily, a couple miles, right, in the prairie. Yeah. Um, and she's strong and she's vital and her mind is sharp, or is as sharp as it's ever been. Um, and so you see, as you get into your 70s and even 80s, all of the kind of all of the ways that you have taken care of yourselves, all the all the deposits that you've made into the bank really show up once you get to that age. Um, and so that's something that I think about a lot. Uh, I have always had a more flexible, floppy body, so it's always been hard for me to maintain strength. Um, and I do think that at the height of my doing yoga in my 20s and 30s, I was strong. But when I added some resistance training, um, it made all my poses so much easier and like more vibrant. I also just for the sake of like the reporter in me came out when we were planning for this episode. So I want to just mention the kind of written up requirements. So this is so I also said to you, you know, ever since having a cancer diagnosis, when you go back to see your doctor is one of the first things they ask you is how much, how many minutes of exercise you're getting per week. And they used to ask me how many minutes of cardiovascular exercise, because the thought is for breast cancer survivors, cardio was sort of paramount. I feel like that's changed. The last few times I've been, they've, they've changed their questions, but it means that I've paid a lot of attention to how many minutes of everything I've gotten for the past, you know, almost 10 years. So I wanted to just um, supplement this episode with a little bit of referencing. And so this is from the CDC. So it basically says that adults should, uh, each week adults need 150 minutes of moderate intensity, intensity physical activity and two days of muscle strengthening activity according to the physical activity guidelines for Americans. Um, so 150 baseline plus two additional uh, sessions of muscle strengthening activity. So they give you various ways that you can break that down. So one example would be brisk walking, uh, 30 minutes a day, five days a week. Or another example could be um, 
And then obviously the two two or more days of muscle strengthening. Another example could be uh, running or jogging for 75 minutes each week. So so shorter ses- sessions of walking or um, shorter sessions of jogging or like or a mix. And so since um, in the past 10 years, I've done a lot more of s- focused, really brisk walking, like I'll walk four miles at a time. And um, even though that is not specifically a muscle strengthening activity, that has made a huge difference in my endurance. And then I was really curious to see, um, according to this chart from the CDC, what they count as their muscle strengthening activities. And so it says, um, okay, so for muscle strengthening, this could include lifting weights, working with resistance bands, doing exercises that use your body weight for resistance, push-ups, sit-ups, heavy gardening, yoga, digging, shoveling, and some forms of yoga. So I was really happy to see that because my doctors have never said that to me. Um, and they know that I do yoga, but they just don't actually count it as exercise. And there, I mean, I understand there's such a wide variety of different kinds of yoga that I feel like they feel like they can't just send people to a yoga class and trust that they're getting the kind of exercise focused exercise that they are want you to get. But you heard it from, you know, a major vetted source that yoga can be considered and also body weight exercises and resistance bands exercises can be considered um, strength building. Having said that, as a woman who is getting older, um, you know, muscle loss, muscle wasting is a big concern. So after menopause, it's been recorded, I was saying to you before the episode, like it's the one thing about menopause that's really been studied, which is that women lose um, up to 3% of their muscle mass every year after menopause. That is serious. And you can see with older people that when they are really starting to lose muscle, they shuffle, right? So even walking is difficult. And um, so for me, I will continue to force myself to do the weight training, but us also, I will feel great that when I'm really um, focused in my yoga practice and I'm going to certain classes that I know are more challenging, that I'm I'm still making deposits into into that bank that I wanna that I wanna make. Um I'm glad that you're making those deposits. Me too. <laughs> I think there's there's just a few more things like uh, a couple little sprinkles that I want to put on top. Um I think the first thing that I want to want to tell everybody is that there there are two more ways in which, to my mind and experience, yoga builds general strength. Okay, so number one is yoga teaches you how to use your whole body with skill and well distributed composition. And what I mean by that is. Y- when you become more mentally attuned to your proprioceptive space, you just learn how to use your body better. Yeah. You true. tend to have much more efficient ergonomics throughout everything. Mm-hmm. And you have a much greater kinesthetic connection. Okay. And there's one thing everyone should understand, which is nothing is very strong in isolation. No muscle or muscle group is very strong in isolation. Things are strong in numbers. Things are strong with how they're put together and they work together, right? So going back to just for a moment, um, me being an old guy training Brazilian jiu-jitsu with someone much younger, I'm able to be fine and, I mean, I get I get destroyed all the time, but it's easy for me to be dominant when someone is 50 to 75 pounds heavier and way stronger and younger when they don't know how to use their body well. Hmm. Because a lot of times people can have a lot of local hypertrophy, a lot of strong muscles, but not, not very good coordination with how those things are put together. And no one thing, no one part of the body is stronger than the totality of another body. So 
one of the main ways to me I experience strength in yoga is through integrated whole body awareness. Mm-hmm. Like I know where my body is and how to use it with effective leverage. And that's strong. I think the other way that I think is really related to this, but a little bit more technical, but I'll be very brief on the technique is when you have greater proprioceptive awareness, you're building, you're kind of talking about a bank a moment ago. When you have greater proprioceptive awareness, you're kind of building your the brain part of your physical bank. You're building out the upper motor neuron component, right? So for me to do that bicep curl, right? I need to have lower motor neurons, which are motor neurons in all the muscles locally that bend the elbow and do what I need to do there. But I also need upper motor neurons. I need the motor neurons in my brain communicating to those lower body, lower, or those, those arm upper body. I need my, but I need my brain communicating to my arm. <laughs> what if your brain communicated to your mouth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How would that be? Yeah. I need my brain and my arm to communicate together. Okay. Okay? So it's not just about what my arm can do. It's about how my brain can connect to my arm and communicate what it is to do. Okay. In order to build more arm strength, your brain has to be able to connect to it. So think about it. Think about if I were to just like wave around a 25 dumbbell like randomly with no technique and no attention. I'm completely paying attention to something else. I'm not going to actually build that much strength because I don't have skill of action. I don't have the muscles working in a good coordinated way. And because my mind isn't attuning itself to that process and therefore it is less stimulating to that region. And so by learning not just proprioception, but body awareness in yoga, you have a much greater ability to to do the kinds of skillful, well-regulated actions that develop strength. Mm -hmm. There's two more really quick things. I just feel like I just feel like we would be completely remiss and we won't go into this topic, but I just want to acknowledge it. Strength is a huge thing, and we spent as well we should. We were talking about mechanical strength, and we talked about yoga as physical stuff. But you and I know, and so many of our listeners know, that we're building many other types of mental, emotional, psychological, for some spiritual strength through their yoga practice. Probably that other disciplines, they may, but they're not as overt about them. And so one of the things that jumps off the page to me is just the inner strength and resource that comes from learning to let go, learning to accept, learning to surrender, learning to unwind. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't mention strength and yoga and not kind of make that acknowledgement. I would say also uh, the strength that comes from the philosophical yoga teachings, should they resonate with you, of having a non-temporal and universally connected element of self Mm -hmm. in the same way that no part of the body is strong without a connection to the rest of the body or no muscle is strong without a connection to the rest of the body. To some degree, mentally, emotionally, we're not that strong without a broader connection to the totality of people around us. Totally. And... Yoga communicates this. Mm-hmm. So bottom line, does yoga strengthen you? Totally. And in a lot of ways. Is it enough? Well, it's a it's a damn good start. And for some people, you, they might reasonably choose to supplement uh, because that can be incredibly effective and efficient as well. Mm-hmm. I like that. Let's stop there. I, I like the idea of um, thinking about practicing the different types of strength and those skills that yoga helps you build as well. So thanks, Jason. My pleasure. Okay, everyone. So as I mentioned at the top of the episode, you can go check out our website for Jason's schedule right now. Just click on the study with us button. 
and you can go to yogalandpodcast.com for show notes for this episode. And uh, until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm-hmm.